Hey, NRL 22 fans. Thanks for joining us for another super fun podcast. Today, I have with me Greg Roman from Voodoo Gunworks, who's going to tell us uh, some super trade secrets today. I'm going to uh, I'm going to grill into that. No, just kidding. But we're going to learn, you know, what what does Voodoo have going on these days? And they're such a great sponsor and, and hugely involved. And Greg himself shoots quite a few NRL 22 and 22X matches. So Greg, for those who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Voodoo? Of course. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Ruth. It's it's great to be here and, and uh, great to be doing anything I can for NRL as, as usual. Um, NRL has been a huge part of, of uh, what Voodoo Gunworks does, and, and we've grown together, so we always want to do our best to, to support. Um, I myself, I'm the, the Director of Compliance and Logistics at Voodoo Gunworks, so yeah, that's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> so what that means is uh, I oversee all the government compliance for the company. Uh, so, you know, ATF regulations and background checks and gun logs and that sort of stuff. Um, and the logistics part is our best creative way of saying I do a whole bunch of other stuff. <laughs> uh, it was honestly the best word we can come up with because it's a small company. Um, a lot of people don't realize we're a whole uh, you know, 16 to 18 people, depending on the time of year. So we all wear a lot of hats. Um, as far as uh, me personally, uh, I've been shooting competitive precision rimfire for about four years now. Uh, I've been with Voodoo for about three, a little over three. Uh, I'm absolutely addicted with it. Uh, I, I freaking love it. it. I eat, sleep, and breathe precision rimfire. Um, I've been in the gun biz for um, one way, shape, or form for 22 years now. And uh, I've been shooting competitively just about as long in in so many disciplines, USPSA, i Revolver, uh, John Garand matches, um, just just to, to name a few. But really, the Precision Rimfire is what has absolutely stuck for me. Uh, it, it's, it's so cool, both professionally and as a hobby, to just learn as much as I do every day in, in this sport. It's just a blast. That's fun. I don't know what it's like to eat, sleep, and breathe Rimfire or anything like that. No experience <laughs> in that, right? <laughs> Well, so for you, what and all of the competitive background you have and, and experience in the gun industry, why precision rimfire? Or what's particularly interesting or different about precision rimfire for you? Um, it's actually kind of hard to quantify question in some ways. It just has beyond bit me. And I actually hear it from a lot of customers. I've had a lot of customers that call up and say, hey, we've uh, – I shoot – um, PRS or, or centerfire or, or NRL or, or whatever it is, and they're a centerfire rifle and they want to build a trainer for it. And so we do so, we, we mirror their centerfire rifle and then, uh, you know, build it, send it out. And six months later, they call me up and say, well, uh, now I want to build one specifically with a couple little differences purposely for NRL 22. And well, what happened to centerfire? Well, as soon as I, I, I took it out, I shot a match with it and I haven't shot, uh, I haven't shot center fire since I, I shot my first rimfire match. It's just in the closet. So there's something special about it. It's, it's uh, as Ruth and I were talking uh, previously, it's not having to reload. It's the affordability of it. It's the ability to go out and shoot 300 rounds in an afternoon and, and have that be an affordable pastime. Um, it, it's uh, the accessibility of it too. I mean, you can go out at a hundred or 200 yards and have a boatload of fun with a rim fire versus center fire. That that's out of, uh, out of reach for a lot of people. Um, and then the, the, the thing that keeps me going, uh, of every competitive genre I've done, 
the, the precision rimfire community is, is probably the most warm and open and welcoming group of people I've ever dealt with. A great example is look what we all did for Joe Knapp last year. You know, here's a, a guy that was, uh, you know, battling with, with uh, health scares with COVID and was fighting for his life and the, and the, the rimfire community immediately, thanks to Ruth and Justin, immediately jumped together and pulled in and, and raised a whole boatload of money for, for Joe to help out him and his family to get through those medical bills. I mean, I don't hear about that in other sports. So um, it, it's just really something cool to be a part of. And then the other thing for me too is it's a new area where there's so much learning to be done. You know, there's we know so much about center fire uh, and you know, as an industry as a whole, what it takes to make a good center fire rifle with the rim fires. Uh, I mean, with Voodoo, obviously we pushed the boundaries from the get-go and now we're, we're continuing to learn. I mean, uh, things are evolving from different barrel lengths to now people are working with twist rates and you know, the, the reloadable solids was getting to be a thing for a while. Uh, there's all this experimentation because people are still trying to find out what the best solution is for a rim fire. And, and it's really kind of exciting to be on the front lines to be a part of that. So. Yeah, well, and we, we really appreciate the support of companies like Voodoo, who not only support matches, but come out huge um, for things like that fundraiser we did for Joe. By the way, for those who, who aren't aware, we had a shooter in our community up here um, who, like Greg said, was, was fighting for his life for a while. He has made um, almost a complete recovery at this point, and it's, it was pretty miraculous. His uh, chances of survival were pretty low, and we're just really glad to, to still have him here with us. And we raised a bunch of money thanks to a whole lot of phenomenal supporters, um, both part of the community up here donating stuff out of their, you know, safe or their, their you know, gunpowder, things like that, and a ton of really amazing sponsors. So this community, I, I'd echo, is just phenomenal, um, really great group. So, and, you know, I'm always impressed with Voodoo's innovation and being, you know, so heavily involved in the, in the Rimfire world there's a lot to be said about uh having a, a you know newer company smaller company willing to jump into this area specifically and hop in and really innovate um on that note greg what can you share with us what's new at voodoo what are you guys working on right now that we should know about um yeah so there's a couple things we can talk about we have some new products coming up and then there's also been a little bit of a um some personnel changes at voodoo that have just changed the way we do a few things um Maybe let's talk about the products first, and then we'll, we'll come back to, sure. to hit the personnel changes. Uh, so the first thing closest to uh, NRL related that I can talk about, or NRL 22, is we are developing a new magazine for the 22 long rifle. Um, <laughs> I can share some of this. I can't talk about all of it. But uh, you know, for those of you that don't know, we had some aluminum uh, higher capacity magazines previously uh, on the market. They were a little problematic and they weren't quite to the performance level we wanted. Um, we had various issues with them that were, you know, some of them worked very well, some of them were having some feeding issues, and we decided it was best just to pull those off the market and discontinue. Uh, in the meantime, we have a, a new engineering uh, firm and team that we're working with, and we are in the development process of a new magazine. Um, it is going to start with a 10 rounder. Uh, we will eventually come out with a five and a 15 rounder as well. Um, Are those going to be backwards compatible then too with the Gen 2s and Gen 1s? Absolutely, yes. They're still going to be AICS pattern. So okay. um, the, the cool thing, so we'll get into some of the details here on them. 
again, we are in the development stage of this. So I want to stress that we don't have a firm timeline on this. So the first thing I'll say, please don't call up my girls in the shop and say, hey, when's this going to be ready? <laughs> the answer we're going to keep giving you is it will be ready when it's ready. So um, it, it's going to take some time. Magazines are the hardest part of any firearm to develop. So it's going to take some time to take these concepts that we have. We've had a few working prototypes going, but it's a matter of um, taking the prototypes, uh, trying them out, and making small dimensional changes in various areas till it, it's perfect. Uh, it may happen on the next go. It may take a few tries at it, and, and we just don't know at this point, so that's why I don't want to make any promises on some dates. So if people are interested in following and hearing like the first announcement that's going to come out when they are available, follow you guys on Facebook or... Facebook and Instagram would be okay. the best. Uh, we, we will um, definitely keep everybody posted on those. Uh, pretty much as soon as it's ready to go, we'll have an announcement on Facebook and Instagram, and then we'll, they'll be for sale uh, like almost immediately. Um, usually, we, we've learned in the past that we'll make sure we have a good stock of them on hand uh, to make sure we're not taking back orders on, on parts we are, are don't have yet that are promised from the vendor. We want to make sure we have them ready to go. Um, as far as features go, uh, the most important thing is we're working on a, a adjustable mag catch. Uh, it is a little different uh, than pretty much everybody else's out there. Uh, I can't go into too much detail on it, but it will be a little bit easier and quicker to adjust uh, for the shooter once they get their chassis and barreled action put together. Um, we've done a little bit to uh, um, shape of the mag. I'm, I'm tongue-tied here. Apologize. So we, we've adjusted the shape of the mag a little bit to prevent any issues from loading into your bag. Uh, that's a big uh, common complaint with not just us, but other competitors' actions, especially in various chassis that have some very oversized mag wells, is if you get any forward pressure into your shooting bag, you tend to start causing some issues. So we've played with the shape a little bit to kind of help some of that. Um, next, um, you know, of course, we, we've worked with uh, the stack of the ammo inside to try to prevent some of the rim lock issues we've seen in the past. Uh, you'll see that when it comes out. Can't go any further into that, but it's, it's pretty much a read between the lines there on that one. Um, and then we've also done a little bit on uh, the shape. So the mags obviously are done in two halves, and uh, the seam that's on the top portion of it that would sit up against the bottom of the receiver, we've actually offset that. So it's off to one side, so you get a nice consistent surface that's going to made up against the bottom of the receiver. So... Um, Aluminum is uh, going to be first. Uh, the couple of prototypes we've been doing are so far aluminum. We're exploring either doing a new mold or possibly doing uh, some higher-end uh, polymer printing uh, to them. Um, the polymer prints I've seen are, are what I'm excited about, and I'm hoping we go that way because that will keep the cost down to the end consumer. Um, it is a little more costly up front because obviously we need to buy some... some uh, um, printing hardware and things like that that uh, is pretty expensive, but the finished product is nice and light and pretty durable too. So um, we're excited about it. We, we don't know all the details yet, but uh, what I've played with so far has, has some real promise to it. I can't wait for that to come out. Yeah, so. that's super exciting. For people who aren't here in the room with us, um, I did a little silent cheer in the background <laughs> about the the adjustable um, mag catch. That that alone is is going to be huge for people. With, if you don't have one of these rifles or you, you haven't heard of Voodoo Gunworks, 
Um, they are incredibly popular. I, I don't know. Are you guys the most represented possibly in the percentage wise? Uh, I don't know if I would say that. Um, I mean, I think the Bagara is probably a pretty good uh, contender there as far as the quantity um, out there. I mean, the Bagara is a, a uh, you know, it's still an expensive rifle, but it's uh, uh, a little more affordable than a Voodoo. Um, I, there's definitely more of us than Rimex. Rimex, I think, would be in the price in, in a budget, or shall we say, would be our other competitor that's out there. Uh, and, and yeah, we've been in the game longer, of course. So we're going to have a, a step up in the marketplace as far as that goes. So, right. so very well represented um, rifles in this in this sport. Um, if you're looking at the higher end rifles, you know, you'll you'll get to hear the name Voodoo out quite a bit and you'll see them at matches. So definitely something to um, take a look at and ask people about when you start attending your first matches. Uh, get get out and, you know, take a look at these rifles. They're, they're kind of a, I would describe as a work of art in terms of design um, and at the forefront. And they're a Remington 700 footprint rifles so that you can, um, you know, work in different chassis and stocks and things like that. And a similar footprint to like center fire is kind of where this all started, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, correct. And, and that's a, that's a great segue and to talk about what makes voodoo voodoo. So yes, we are a Remington 700 footprint. So what that means is you can take a voodoo gunworks barreled action drop it into any uh, Remington 700 chassis or stock that takes a AICS pattern magazine. So if you had your centerfire PRS rig or NRL rig or even an NRL hunter rig, depending on what magazine you had, you can pretty much take that stock or um, that barreled action out and drop ours into that same stock. Or you could build an identical clone in 22 long rifle. We do use Remington 700 triggers. So uh, standard uh, for us, the popular ones would be uh, the Timney triggers. So the Timney hit, the Timney Elite Hunter, and then the Trigger Tech Diamonds, uh, single and two stage, the Bix Nanny Taxport Pros. Uh, all those guys are getting used in our rifles. So people, it, it opens up a lot of options for people to build the rifle um, exactly how they want to, if you will, to make it bespoke to their taste. So. Um, Trying to think what else makes us us. There, there's definitely some some things we do in the action that uh, makes the Voodoo one of, if not the most accurate rifles on the market. Um, I mean, there's definitely some strong competitors there. Don't get me wrong, but uh, the Voodoo, um, I, I I can't remember if the last ELR world record was done with the Voodoo, but I think pretty much all of them have done been set with the Voodoo up to this point. Uh, so. Since Voodoo came on, that's Rimfire has been pushed as far as the distances go. I mean, before uh, Voodoo and NRL and NRL 22X uh, really blew, um, blew up, Rimfire wasn't really thought of as a cartridge that goes past 100 yards. And and we've definitely changed that game. I mean, heck, yesterday at, at uh, King of 2.8 Mile, we were hitting a 12-inch target at 511 yards. So... Who would have thought you'd do that with a 22, you know, five, 10 years ago? Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy how much things have changed in the landscape for sure. And so as, you know, an internal member of, of Voodoo, um, what would you say when you're approaching, you know, problem solving or product development, what's kind of your internal philosophy there in terms of product design? You know, what are your priorities as you're going through and, and creating new products? Um, I mean, the biggest thing is is look at an end goal of what we want to accomplish with that product. Um, for instance, the, the 360 would be a good example. Um, we 
basically wanted to make a rifle that that had that 60 degree bolt throw that everybody wanted so they could mimic their center fire uh 60 degree bolt lift so um we had a few hiccups there uh but we've now got things uh, rocking and rolling we had a couple problems to begin with that we've definitely gone through and solved um and now we have a very reliable uh very robust uh, and very very accurate um rimfire rifle that is a 60 degree bolt lift and it's actually what i run it's what uh, your sample rifle or your your loaner rifle you have for midwest precision is uh and it's been our top seller by far so yeah we had a lot of people at our matches that got to try out that rifle who just fell in love with it and had <laughs> to have it and i told them if they call you directly to order one they better tell you that <laughs> they got to try it out at our match and that's why they ordered it so that's a great rifle um really a lot of fun to shoot and and superbly accurate like you said it it's so cool we call it the voodoo giggle as anytime i go out to do a demo shoot and somebody hasn't had the experience of shooting some of these high-end precision rim fires whether it's us or Remex or Bagar or something like that and then all of a sudden start hitting small targets at several hundred yards out with a 22 it's it's it makes your day even though you're exhausted and been on your feet all day to watch somebody just start giggling like a schoolgirl uh, when they start hitting little targets with a 22 really far away so it's yeah. addicting I have that. I have that same experience too. Every time I do an intro class um, or an intro day or a demo day, anything <laughs> like that, it's so much fun to watch people hit stuff and they're like, oh, "I did it!" Yeah, that's awesome. I like it. I'm gonna start using that term, the giggle. Yeah, the, the, the voodoo days. giggle. The voodoo giggle. Yeah. Got it. Okay, got it. <laughs> um, so I know recently you've posted. Uh, I think it was a video, if I'm not mistaken, about cleaning your rifle. And this is a topic that's widely debated across uh, the rimfire communities, you know, setter fire, everybody. Uh, can you walk us through kind of a summary version of the main points that, that you have from that? Sure, sure. Um, actually, I, I wrote, so the video is pretty old. The video is, is about a, a little over a year old. Uh, I recently wrote an article on the truth about guns. Uh, and it goes through my, my whole um, my whole personal philosophy of how I take care of a rimfire barrel. Um, and the, the way I, I've figured out talking to customers is there's two schools of thought of, of people that really put some, um, some method to their madness of cleaning a rimfire barrel. There's the bench rest type, uh, shooter. And those guys really will like to clean their barrel, the inside of the barrel, all the way down to the metal, uh, every time they clean. And those guys clean often. So, you know, they shoot a card that may be 25 shots with a few ciders. So they may have 30, 35 shots and they'll clean every single card. So with that, they have the ability to, to obviously get their rifle much cleaner, much easier. And then they are only shooting so many shots. So that, so they're very, um, very comfortable with what condition their, their bore is in, in that, in that very finite amount of cleanliness, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Um, my method varies because like for instance, this weekend, you know, I, I, I'm out here in Minnesota, uh, obviously visiting with Ruth and Justin, but I was here to shoot the King of Two Eight Mile match, and uh, or point two eight mile. My apologies, <laughs> I misspoke. And I mean, I went through 300 rounds this weekend, and I don't have the opportunity to clean during the middle of a match. So it, it, it's a different philosophy that we want to have the right type of, of fouling in the bore and to know what the rifle is going to do with that fouling and, and to keep that fouling at a consistent uh, amount. And to put it in a nutshell, what I'm trying to do is keep the chamber as clean as possible, but I let the fouling actually build up in the rifling portion of the bore. So uh, 
the, the biggest thing we see for accuracy, we're going to dive into the weeds a little bit here. Um, the biggest detriment to accuracy we, we come across is what's called a carbon ring. Uh, so in the chamber up where the end of the case would, would kind of turn into the bullet, um, around the chamber, you'll get a ring of carbon and a little bit of bullet lubricant that builds up. It is a very, very hard ring. And what happens when you chamber that round, that soft lead bullet actually gets squeezed or constricted by that hard carbon ring. Uh, and lead is a dead metal. It doesn't have any rebound or elasticity or anything to it. So once it gets squeezed, it's no longer going to engage the rifling uh, as it should the rest of the way down the bore. And since that, that carbon ring has some lead and some bullet lube and some of that mixed in it, it will soften up a little bit as it heats up. So typically what you see when you get carbon buildup is the rifle will throw a, a flyer or two when it's cold, and then all of a sudden things will start coming right back in. So if you're shooting, let's say, an NRL match, <clears throat> excuse me, shooting an NRL match and you're shooting you know, stage after stage after stage, but you may have half an hour or an hour in between stages, uh, and let's say your first shot's on, I don't know, a, a, a six-inch target at, at 200 and something yards, how do you know that first shot's going to hit when you have a carbon ring in there? So what I do with cleaning is uh, I use Bortex C4. Uh, Bortex C4 is a, a carbon remover, and it does not go after the lead and the bullet lube that builds up in the chamber, uh, or sorry, in the rifling portion, my apologies. Um, I will actually soak the chamber, so I use just a, a bore mop uh, soaked in, in Bortex C4. I insert it into the chamber area, maybe an inch and a half or so, and I let it sit for about 10 to 15 minutes. The C4 is a non-caustic solution, so it's not gonna harm the stainless steel to let it sit in there. Um, after about, about 15 minutes, it's gone to work on that carbon ring and it's softened it up. So I can usually just take that mop and I can spin it in the bore before I remove it, and it just wipes that carbon ring away. And then after that, I'll run a wet patch down the bore just to pick up any loose stuff and then follow that by a couple dry patches to get the, the fluid and the cleaner out of the bore, and that's it. Um, what I found by using this method, after about a thousand rounds, you get what we call seasoning that's laid down the bore, and that's that good fouling that we were talking about. It builds up in the rifling, so it's, again, some bullet lube, a little bit of lead, and it, it creates a lubricated surface all the way down the entire rifling, and it keeps your velocity very consistent. So it does take a while. It starts at the at the, the muzzle, or sorry, the breech end, and it works its way down towards the muzzle. And once it gets all the way down there, your your extreme spread and your um, standard deviation are usually going to tighten up. Uh, your rifle is going to come very uh, clean, very quickly, as far as your your chamber fouling goes. If you keep up every two to three hundred rounds. And then after cleaning, you're going to notice your rifle will settle in very, very quickly, five to 10 rounds at, at most. Um, and as long as I keep up in that carbon ring, I find I get very, very few flyers. My rifle is extremely predictable. So uh, again, I kind of call it good fouling, bad fouling, if you will. But it does take about 1,000 rounds to build up. And when you're in that you know, 500 to 1,000 round uh, level or that that uh, fouling is kind of half laid down, you'll start seeing a few flyers here and there because your bullet starts traveling down a lubricated, you know, uh, seasoned surface, and then all of a sudden it hit rosting the steel. So it's going to kind of, 
get some velocity spikes, if you will, uh, you know, spikes and peaks and valleys where you may start seeing some random flyers for, for unexplained reasons. And all it is is the bullet going from seasoned barrel to unseasoned barrel. That's it. So. Gotcha. So 500, 2,000 rounds to season the barrel. Yeah. And then every two to 300 rounds to you should work on the carbon ring. Is yeah. What I, I would suggest working on the carbon ring uh, every two to 300 rounds from the get-go. Um, so by using the C4, again, you're not really attacking that, that fouling that builds up in the rifle portion of the bore. So I, I kind of suggest starting that from the get-go. And I generally clean between every 200 and 400 rounds. It depends uh, how many I shoot in a given outing. Uh, like this weekend, I shot about 300 rounds. I'll go home and clean it. Um, otherwise, if I shoot, like let's say a monthly NRL match where I might shoot 100 rounds between the match and practice, uh, I may go another couple of practice sessions before I, I clean the, the bore again, if you will. But two to 400 rounds is it. So. Gotcha. Yeah, so I've, I've been on – we have ourselves a, a pretty inexpensive um, – What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, borescope. Borescope yeah. is a word. So we have a pretty inexpensive borescope. So our our latest, um, or at least what I've been doing with my rifle, is looking for that carbon ring. And if I see one built up, I do almost identical to what you just described. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've noticed that, you know, it takes anywhere for my rifle, you know, 500 to 700 rounds before one really starts to build up. So it is, I think, unique to each rifle. Because I had my... My original barreled action I started out with in this, I swear I could go 2,000 rounds before I had a carbon ring or wow. any evidence of one. It was crazy. Justin uh, didn't believe me. We had to look at it, and he's like, that is just insane. So I think, you know, obviously the, the ammo comes into play there as well, but definitely good to know what your rifle uh, needs and requires for, you know, cleaning. is It's it's a big piece of this sport and i think there's a lot of people who say never clean yeah you bring up a very good point is the borescope um uh, amazon sells teslong borescopes they're like 100 bucks maybe even less depending which model you get and i think every shooter should have one i'm going to caution that it's going to scare you the first time you look into a barrel (laughs) uh I get all kinds of comments of somebody's like, look at my barrel has a big chunk of something missing or there's a crack in it. And what it really is, is a, a, a drop of oil or there's a little piece of fuzz from a cleaning patch or something like that. There's all kinds of things that look very, very scary in a bore. Don't let them alarm you. But the biggest thing is to look for that carbon ring. Um, depending on the rifle, depending on the chamber, depending how it's chambered will, will and what ammo you shoot will affect how quick or, or slow that carbon ring develops. I start to see a effect from a carbon ring in my shooting after about 250 to 300 rounds. Um, the thing is, the chamber size actually really makes a, a difference on that. The, the on-shoots probably is a pretty tight chamber, I imagine. So that's why I'm kind of okay. shocked to hear you go that far <laughs> without uh, a carbon ring buildup. Because um, typically, the tighter the chamber, the quicker you're going to start seeing those effects. The Voodoo or Ravage chamber is, is a very tight chamber. It's basically a 52D that's been modified for uh, Lapua specifically. And um, yeah, with that, like if I take my my voodoos out and shoot them, I'll see carbon ring effect much quicker than let's say my old Sako or my kids Ruger precision rim fire, uh, just because it's tighter chamber. Yeah. So. That makes a lot of sense. So for, for those listening who are interested, I I'm shooting RWS R50 through my on shoots rifle. And, and I think, you know, we've definitely seen, um, certain ammos that we've shot through our rifles and, and demo rifles 
definitely make a big difference in that too. So like Greg said, getting yourself a, a borescope is a really good way to get started and to get to know your equipment. So you'll start to, at first you're not going to know what you're looking at with a borescope in my experience. So it's good to, to get it out and start getting familiar with what your, um, your rifle looks like and what your barrel looks like. So get one, start looking at it. Um, don't panic if you don't know what you're looking at, you know, ping some people who are more experienced and ask, you know, for photos of what, what it looks like in their gun or, you know, look through your friend's guns, things like that. Uh, Cause the more you look at it, the more you're going to be able to tell when something is out of place and that'll help you to diagnose issues. Yep. And it's a great way to look at things too, like the very finite edge of your crown. Um, you know, if you have any nicks or anything like that, you'll be able to see that show up really, really quick with the borescope. So same thing with the chamber too. So. 100%. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. Well, good. We've covered cleaning. Now that that topic's off the table, let's talk about uh, nothing else that's controversial in this part. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. It's a very controversial topic, but yeah, it, it, I just found what works for me and, and that's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. So. Right. No, I think that's really good advice. And I've had similar experience with my rifle and a lot of good luck. And, and Greg kicked my butt this last weekend with his <laughs> uh, rifle at the match we were shooting. So, you know, good advice from, from a good shooter there. I think. <laughs> Thank you. Um, speaking of good shooters, uh, can you share with the audience a little bit about the Voodoo team? You know, what what's the status of that at this point? Sure. Um, so, yeah, we do have other products to talk about, too. But we'll yes. get back because we're, we're talking Rimfire stuff right yep. now. So, hint, hint. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, hint, hint is in, is in non-Rimfire stuff coming. <laughs> uh, anyways, so the Voodoo shooting team, we, we have had a little bit of a, a personnel um, just change at Voodoo. Um, so for those that don't know, Mike Bush is not involved at Voodoo anymore, and he's stepping away from the company. Um, Mike has not been involved with Voodoo. Uh, he's been doing other things for a little while now, probably a little over a year, um, and, and Mike is going to um, formally step away from Voodoo. We wish him the best. He's off uh, working on some other ventures, and uh, we wish him the best of luck. Uh, what that does mean uh, for the shooting team is the shooting team is now under myself, and uh, co-managed with Mike Semenoff. Mike Semenoff handles all of our, our marketing uh, for the company. So he handles our social media, so um, Instagram and Facebook, et cetera. Um, I, of course, am, am the guy in the shop, so I'm, I'm the liaison to the owners and the people that are footing the bill. So yeah, I, the shooting team is now under me directly uh, with the, the help of Mike Semenoff as well. Um, with that, uh, we're, we're kind of uh, letting things settle down and, and getting in touch with the, the current shooters to kind of figure out what they need and what their status is. Um, we will probably do a little bit of roster uh, shuffle, uh, if you will, at the end of this year. Uh, what that looks like, I don't quite know yet. We're trying to exactly decide how much budget we want to spend and how much each shooter is going to cost us. Um, but yeah, we are always looking for some new blood on the team, if you will. I'm, I'm always looking to uh, shake things up and keep things fresh. So Yeah, so on that note, if you know someone's interested in joining Team Voodoo, what types of shooters are you looking for to join the team, or what's your philosophy when you're looking at who should be a, a part of the shooting group? Yeah, so the, the thing there we first want to look at is what are we looking to get from the shooters? Like, what do we expect? Uh, what's the purpose of the team, right? The purpose of the shooting team is to help Voodoo as a company to, to market. So 
With that, Voodoo has always worked very hard to pride ourselves on customer service. Uh, and we know we can't please everybody out there, but we work very hard to, to please everyone we possibly can. Uh, and we expect our shooters to be right along that philosophy. So uh, while, yes, I, I do want good riflemen and women on my team, I want people that, that really know what they're doing and that are going to get some good finishes and some podiums and some wins, we much prefer, um, or, or I should say a, a higher priority would be to be that person that everybody wants to squad with at a match, right? So um, in other words, if you got a guy wearing a voodoo jersey on a match and you've got, um, I'll, I'll pick on Bagara here. Let's say you had a Bagara that, that you were having some sort of issue with or screw is loose or something like that you've got to take care of. Uh, we want the voodoo guy to be the first one there lending a hand to see if they can help. Um, you know, pulling out their fix-it sticks or um, lending slings or bags or, or, or something like that. We don't care what you're shooting. We want you just out shooting. Um, you know, of course, we'd love it if you were shooting a voodoo. But the bottom line, that the first thing we want to do is grow this sport. Because without the sport, we don't have jobs. So, uh, so yeah, being that, that uh, excellent ambassador to the sport and excellent ambassador to voodoo itself is what we're looking for. Um, I'm looking for people that can uh, present themselves in a good professional manner. Uh, you know, from the marketing side, of course, we want to see somebody that does have a social media presence. Um, what that means is somebody that can write uh, and write professionally. Um, that's... That's actually one of the biggest challenges that we see with some of the people that have approached me is, is uh, how they present themselves uh, online. Um, most of our, our current team members, they actually do either some match directing or some instruction or something like that too, where uh, a lot of times they're, they're, again, just through that side business or whatever it is they've got going or match directing or something, they're able to expose people to what makes a voodoo a voodoo and what makes this sport so freaking awesome. So um, again, we're looking for that person to be just bottom line, an ambassador to the company and ambassador to the community. And of course, winning the matches doesn't hurt either. <laughs> winning the matches <laughs> always helps, right? There's a, um, you know, I think of an idea that people get about being a sponsored shooter, um, mm -hmm. that it means X, Y, Z. So for people who make kind of assumptions about what a sponsored shooter is or, or what they do, kind of what's the typical reciprocity? Because I, I try to, you know, we I, I interviewed Shane Douglas mm -hmm. as well from Team Bergara, and we talked about this, touched on it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's essentially like an like having a job being sponsored, right? It is. It is. Uh, and that's, a, that's a great way to, to, to put it is uh, there's things that go both ways. Obviously, we're going to do our best to you know, help a shooter out with, with a barreled action and, and uh, um, you know, some other parts and things like that. I can't go publicly into what our shooters get from us, but look at us versus, you know, Bagara. Again, we keep picking on Bagara. Uh, we love <laughs> you guys to death, but I'm going to pick on you guys just because, you know, you're uh, a good um, uh, opposite well example here. Well yeah. represented because you guys are huge and we're small. <laughs> so, yeah, so you got Bagara that is a big company with, with a big budget and, and we're a team of, you know, like I said, 16 to 18 people. We don't have the budget for that. Um, so, yeah, with that, we, we do, um, you yeah, know, we do our best to support the shooters with some equipment and, and hopefully some help in the expenses. 
It doesn't mean that uh, those guys, whether it's us or Pagara or you know Remax or anything like that, are just going out to a match and not paying a single dime. Those guys are still footing the bill for some of their travel and, and, and some of those things as well. Um, but again, for the help that they, they do get, uh, like I said, we want to see some social media posts. We want to see those people. Um, like if we had a voodoo, hey, I've got a light strike issue. We, we may have... Uh, the shooters out there with some heavier springs and spare firing pins and spare parts. I mean, for instance, this this weekend on Saturday night uh, after the match, I was on the, the tailgate of the rental truck I had fixing a couple rifles, uh, just helping people out to get them running right. And that's kind of what we expect is I was late to go get dinner in the awards because I was fixing rifles. Uh, and that's it is I'm out here having fun, but it's a job at the same time is I'm out there representing voodoos and I'm out there to, to represent the people and the customers that are out there shooting voodoos. So makes a lot of sense. I think that's helpful to people who aren't familiar with a lot of the sponsorship programs. And yeah. there's, there's not a whole lot of uh, sponsored shooters in the rimfire world. Um, so for those who do have sponsors, I think it's helpful for people to understand, you know, this is what it looks like. And like you said, you guys are a small shop and even, yeah. even team Bergara, those guys are putting the bill for a lot of their stuff too. Yeah. So, you know, just cause you're a sponsored shooter doesn't mean that this suddenly becomes super affordable <laughs> for you. Unfortunately, it's still an expensive sport. So. Yeah. What, what I think it does for a lot of those shooters is it doesn't, doesn't mean that you're going to save a bunch of money. It means you're going to be able just to afford to shoot and compete a little more. Yeah. So, um, I mean, like for instance, uh, some of our guys back East, like Tony Jamelli, who's actually our, our team captain on, on team voodoo, that guy shoots like two matches a weekend because uh, yeah. he's always got them within a, within a couple hours drive of his house. And he is every single weekend. He's constantly going to matches. Well, I mean, obviously that, that costs the guy some money. He's got, you know, hotels and wear and tear on his truck and, and gas and, and all that stuff. So uh, the help that, that any company is able to give their shooters is going to allow them to shoot more is the point of it. So, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and on that note, like I said, looking for, for fresh blood, um, Ruth and I were talking about this quietly. We do not have a formal application process that is on purpose. Uh, you know, cause as, as I explained earlier, a part of the job of the voodoo team is to help voodoo market and, and to help voodoo have a, a presence both online and, and at the matches. And the reason we don't have a formal application process is because I want to see how you market yourself. Um, so I, I want to see how you're going to go ahead and, and actually, uh, uh, do your best to sell us on you. So, um, I'll kind of leave it at that. And, and, uh, you know, if you have any questions, you can always reach out to us at the shop. Uh, but th that's about where that stands. So, um, I, I will say at this point, uh, if we do do some, some, uh, roster changes, I do have several names in mind already. Uh, but I'm always looking for more. So. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a really cool opportunity for some folks out there who are who are interested in representing Voodoo. So that's exciting. Mm -hmm. And speaking of exciting and things at Voodoo, what else do you have for us? We uh, I was talking to Greg, you know, before this, you know, what can you tell me? What can you tell the audience? And, you know, it's always one of those fun things when things are in production. So there's a few things that he promised he would share with us. <laughs> well, this will be the, I think the first time we officially talk about this in any sort of uh, media environment. So Voodoo is branching out from the precision rimfire world and going to start doing some other products. And uh, the very first one kind of happened because of, of some manufacturing capabilities 
and some desire for for um, some people to just build the the version of this gun they've always wanted. Um, so to start with, Voodoo is going to be very shortly coming out with a 1911 centerfire pistol. Wow. Uh, I'll, I'll stop and let you guys breathe for a second. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, anyways, uh, Voodoo is coming out with a 1911 centerfire pistol. Uh, it is going to be a 9mm and 45. Uh, to start with is is going to be a simple high-end uh, 1911 single stack um, uh, version. So we'll have a, a fixed and I believe an adjustable sight version in both of them, a couple finish options. And then we're going to branch out from there into some other um, other models of the same platform, if you will. So uh, I have to be a little careful here. So I'm going to tread lightly of what I can and can't share. Uh, these should start hitting the market. So we're here end of August at this recording. Uh, we hope to actually have these out in the next month. Um, I'm going to cautiously say maybe a little further than that, uh, just because you know how production always goes. <laughs> Um, to, to talk a little bit about what makes this special is, is we've all seen, you know, the high end and all, a lot of us own the high end, uh, Wilson combats and Ed Browns and, and Les Bears and Nighthawks and, and, you know, some really, really great 1911s that are made really, really top of the line, super smooth. This is a, uh, revolutionary manufacturing process. This is where I can't dive into any further details, at least here publicly yet, but it is a revolutionary manufacturing process that has allowed us to make a 1911 that is going to be every bit as smooth and precise as those super, super high-end 1911s out there and, and should give those guys a, a uh, I don't want to say run for their money. I don't want to say return to knock anybody off their pedestal, but it, but it, it should give those guys another... Um, uh, another person to have out in the market. To, little to competition, a little yeah. healthy competition. A little healthy that's, competition to go rub anybody. some elbows with. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're super excited about this thing. And, and I'm, I'm not even really a 1911 guy personally. And I, I shoot this cause I shoot rifles. That's all, that's what I eat, sleep and breathe. And of course I have a few 1911s, but who um, doesn't? yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I pick this thing up and play with it. And, and my jaw drops to the floor every time I get to play with this thing so far. So, um, they're going to be a pretty special piece. Um, What's the price point ish, if you can share um, or range that you guys are thinking? You know, I didn't ask the boss if I could share that. Before. Okay, so well, we'll hold let, off. Let's then. hold off on that just yet. But, we'll post uh, it in the description if you get permission later. Yeah, because, good, good point. <laughs> I, I will say it's not going to be as much as some of the top end um, 1911s out there, um, but again, the finished product should be every bit as smooth and as good. So a little less than on the price point, but every bit as high quality is what, what you're saying. Correct. Okay. Correct. So um, so that's that one. Uh, the next one, uh, again, also in the centerfire world, uh, we've let this one slip a little bit uh, in, in passing, but not officially on any sort of media. Yes, Voodoo is coming out with a centerfire rifle. So uh, that will hopefully be done later this year. Um, this is in partnership with another company. Uh, so again, I have to be a little vague here. I can't disclose who that partnership is with just yet. Uh, when you guys hear, uh, you will be very excited about it. It's a great company, uh, a great, uh, engineering team that that's working on this. And, and we think this is going to be pretty revolutionary. So, um, the centerfire rifle is going to be a hunting style rifle to start with. 
Um, we decided to go that way because the hunting market, uh, as far as the health of the company, the hunting market is actually huge and there's much more market share for Booty to jump into first. So uh, we think there's a little more opportunity for us to get started in the center of fire world on the hunting side. Um, where I will say we're partnering with McMillan on the stocks. Uh, good, good old Josh at McMillan. Those guys have been a fantastic partner of Voodoo uh, for the last few years now. Ever since we started with the uh, the single shot um, Voodoo a couple of years ago, McMillan's been a great partner to work with. Uh, there's going to be two versions of the action. The very first one, like I said, is going to be more hunting style, be an open top action. Uh, shortly behind that, we'll have a, a um, closed top with an integral Picatinny rail. Um, beyond that, I can't dive into the details, but what I will say is this action will have a lot of features of other center fire actions. Uh, however, they'll all be combined into one. So there's um, bits and pieces and features of one particular action that we like. So we've got uh, some of those on um, in there, some bits and pieces of another action that we like. We've got some of those in there. And there, there's three or four different examples of cool features that we've been able to combine uh, all into one platform that we're really, really excited about. So there are going to be some pretty awesome hunting rifles to start with. And who knows? You may see me start shooting center fire pretty soon. Oh, wow, that's <laughs> exciting! Okay. I'll, I'll have to poke the bosses on that one. So, uh, <laughs> so is that um, is this going to be something that you'd see people maybe take to a hunter style match too? Uh, there, there's definitely no reason we can't, uh, and I think when we get to the second version of the action, that's more what that's going to be uh, based around. Um, you know, uh, stock-wise, we'll probably see, um, for the Hunter style, probably things like the McMillan Game Warden 2.0 um, and some of those. Um, you know, barrel-wise, um, you know, I shouldn't talk about that just yet. So. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> guys. Leave us hanging yeah, here. Uh, but, yeah, they, they will, will be some pretty high-end barrel options that are, are stinking awesome that uh, should be really light. Um, it may or may not be somebody that we already do some work with in the rimfire world, if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, they should be pretty cool, uh, uh, really light rifles that are very feature rich, very high end and very precise machining. Uh, that should be super accurate and, and super light. It should be awesome hunting rifles. So. All right. So for those who are dying at home, just to know more, <laughs> when can we expect some of these uh, more official announcements, more public announcements to start coming out? Yeah, 1911, uh, we should see that uh, probably sometime towards the end of September. Uh, I'm hoping into, you know, September into October. The uh, centerfire platform into is going to be late fall into uh, early winter of this year uh, is when we hope to start having this out. Um, hopefully we'll have examples of both at SHOT Show. So um, 1911 we'll have for sure by then. We've already got examples of that. We're just working on the last little details. The centerfire... Uh, we uh, are not quite that far in the development process yet, but we're feeling very confident of where we're at and what we have going there, and that we should have completed samples available at SHOT Show for people to see. That sounds really exciting. I'm hoping to get to SHOT Show this next year, so we'll, yeah. maybe I'll, I'll hit you guys up. Maybe we'll do another podcast update then or something. We'll do a special. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, of course. We will be at Precision Rifle Expo, too. So. Um, yeah, Precision Rifle Expo, I'm pretty sure I can I can squeeze 1911 down there to at least show that off on, on the table. Uh, hopefully we'll have a center fire sample by then. Uh, that is week before Thanksgiving, I think it is. It's down in Texas. Um, 
but uh, we we should have some some cool examples, some stuff to show. Hopefully, a center fire by then. So. Awesome! That sounds like a lot of fun. That's not too yeah. long from now, so yeah. Hopefully, people can hold out, can hold on. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Greg, for, for coming out. Um, do you have a couple more minutes? We can answer a couple of questions from listeners. Of course. Of course. Awesome. Well, so um, I don't have too many questions right now. So if you listening have a question for me, email us at NRL22 at podcast, or sorry, <laughs> podcast at NRL22.org. That'll actually get you to our inbox. And we'd be happy to read and answer uh, your own question on one of these podcasts. So the questions that we have today come from Michael Dane, um, and he wants to know whether or not we should start having state championship matches. Oh, um, I think that's a great idea. Uh, are you thinking about in the NRL X or just on the monthly NRL 22 uh, side of things? So Michael didn't specify, but I've been thinking about this a little bit for the X series specifically for a while in terms mm-hmm. of having some sort of state or regional maybe qualifier mm-hmm. Regional, I think, would be good because there, there's some areas of this country that I think are very, very saturated with, with X matches. Uh, and then some areas that are not quite like for me, I typically have to drive at least four hours to get to an X match. So uh, it, it's kind of tough. And I would love to be able to do some more two day matches that are, um, you know, in NRL, which is what I got started and what I love. I would, I would really enjoy being able to do some more two day matches in, in that genre. So. Yeah, I think uh, I think that idea is a great idea and kind of makes sense as sort of the next evolution of the X League or the X Series for sure. Um, so maybe it's something we'll discuss with the admin team and see if there's uh, the ability for us to kind of move move into that sometime soon. Um, and on the same note, talking about the X Series, Michael wants to know why NRL 22 doesn't recognize base class. Hmm. So with this one, I will jump in a little bit and just give kind of my um, understanding of it. And I, I think that the idea around base class started with getting people who had anything, any type of 22 in their closet, um, a place to start. And so having this base class meant that people could, you know, kind of go down the, the gear race track um, and participate in open class. But it kind of left a little bit of space for people who didn't quite want to make the same dollar commitment out of the gate um, and because of that, the X series is supposed to be kind of that next level of competition. So I, I don't think the intent from NRL was ever to have the base class be where people kind of stayed and competed long term, like a factory class would be. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my impression of why why it doesn't recognize it. Um, and then the X series kind of staying more simplistic more everybody in the same bucket competing against each other is kind of the idea there um what are your thoughts greg i I wonder if i think you're hitting the nail on the on the the head there i wonder if it's uh um i've heard a few times in in past where you've had base class matches where you get some really top-end shooters that may purposely stay in base class to have a um less competition in the field so um and I do agree. Yeah, the X matches are um, a little more advanced than the monthly matches. Of course, nationals is, is going to be a little more advanced. Um, you know, so, I mean, you take an experienced shooter like, uh, well, okay, well, well, let's take one of my shooters. Let's take Chris Simmons, right? So if you, if you took Chris Simmons, uh, you know, somebody at his level or, or um, I'll, we'll take Tony Jamelli. How about that? Let's take Tony. Tony's a great shooter. Um, you know, Tony is, is, uh, definitely capable of ranking up there in the national rankings. 
Uh, but if you took Tony and put him on a base class rifle, uh, all of a sudden he would most likely win base class at nationals. So is, is that, um, I don't know, is that sporting, shall we say, that you're limiting yourself on your equipment to be able to, to, to place higher in your particular category, if you will? So. Right. And I think NRL 22 specifically, the, the whole vision and goal and mindset behind it is really about making this sport accessible to as many people as possible. So I think the idea is to try and push people um, to not game the system, so mm-hmm. to speak. And and that's a, a big reason why I pushed myself to go into open class and throw myself in that category and, and out of the ladies class. You know, women are underrepresented in this sport quite a bit. Um but me getting out of the way leaves space for other up-and-coming females yep. to win matches in, in their class and be rewarded for that and recognized for that. So I think, you know, going to the heart and the intent behind it, um, I understand that, you know, someone with a $500 rifle competing against someone with a $4,000 or $5,000 rifle is not, you know, really comparing apples to apples. But I think it goes back to that idea that, the NRL 22 monthly matches are really geared towards that introduction to this sport and trying to make it affordable for people. And the X series is intended for people who really want to challenge themselves and, and shoot at that next level. Yeah. And, and that's a great point is, is like our local match, which is, you know, uh, St. George, Utah is, is pretty small. So we have our match director is, is in ladies class. And of course she, you know, she's experienced. So uh, there's not usually more than one or two other ladies who are very, very new. So of course the match directors, you know, being experienced is always going to take that first place in ladies. Um, but you know, the match director is, is not quite to the level of the guys in open. So she's kind of in a, you know, in a conundrum is she's, you know, she can win the ladies or she can, uh, um, you know, go, have a much harder time trying to win against the, the, the few guys that are really good and open, but at the same, same vein, uh, the couple of new shooters that come out, they're always going to get beat by the slightly more experienced shooter in the right. ladies class, just cause she's got the, the time yeah. and effort in there. So, yeah, that's definitely one of the struggles. And I should caveat that I won the national championship ladies class before I <laughs> decided to jump into open <laughs> class. So that's part of it too is okay. I, I had, you know, I had my win there. So that, that was, uh, feather in my cap that I can take home. So, yeah. you know, I'm not saying every female should pop out by any means, but it's pretty cool to hear about um, female match directors too. Yeah. Because there's not a whole lot of us doing that either. And um, so, you know, it's a it's definitely a personal decision. But again, making sure that if and when you can compete at that next level that you're willing to to make the leap, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll give a shout out to, to Miss Dawn Derleiter down there in St. George. She, she puts on a great match and, and really works hard to make sure we have a pretty pretty cool little club of shooters down there. We're a really tight-knit group that uh, is really open and welcoming to new shooters. So, hey, if you're down in the St. George, Utah area or anywhere down in southwest Utah, come check us out. We'd love to have you. But big, big shout-out to Don. Yeah, so it sounds like I'm going to have to come down there then so I can meet Absolutely. this Don person because I haven't yet. And then, you know. Well, I keep teasing you. you got to come down and at least come say hi to the shop and, and shoot a few matches and see uh, – the opposite of here in Minnesota, there's no trees. There's lots of red rocks and, and, and high desert, but uh, we'd love to have you down there in southwest Utah. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun, so we'll, we'll have to make that happen at some point. Well, thanks again, Greg. I know that you do have a flight that you have to catch tonight. Um, so before we wrap up, do you have any other final thoughts that you want to share? Uh, that's really about it. I just really hope the sport continues to grow and 
uh, to all you shooters out there, uh, you guys really uh, make this make my job a pure joy. Uh, th this has been the most rewarding, uh, you know, three years now at Voodoo. It's been the most rewarding three years of my professional career, uh, and I, I literally do eat, sleep, and, and breathe precision rimfire, both as a hobby and a profession. So, I guess the last words I'll say is to all you guys out there: thank you. Uh, from a personal level, you guys have changed my life for the better. Uh, and we love you guys. Well, thanks so much, Greg, for being here and giving us your time again. And thanks to Voodoo for all the support that they do for NRL 22 and, and the sport. And I will just sign off by saying keep sharing the love, everyone. <laughs>